everyone, Michelle and Ashley here, back for another episode of Mentor Chat. If you haven't had a chance to listen to our previous episodes, definitely check them out after you're done listening here. In our previous episode, we got to talk with Dana Winters at the Fred Rogers Center and got into some great conversation about how simple interactions with young people can have a huge impact. This episode, we've got another interesting interview with Dr. Harriet Schwartz, author and professor at Antioch University. And Michelle, you're actually the one who thought Dr. Schwartz would be a great guest and reach out to her, right? So how did you two first get connected? Yes, Ashley. So Dr. Schwartz, she'll mention this in her interview, but she's been a longtime supporter of the mentoring partnership. She was a listener to our previous season and had reached out to have a conversation about her work. And she seemed like she would be a great fit for interviewing on the podcast. So that's how we met. I'm excited to hear more from her. I remember you talking about how exciting that initial conversation was. So I'm sure she has some great things to say. But before we dive into the interview, I also want to remind folks listening to stay tuned um, after we're done talking to Dr. Schwartz for this episode, Stay Inspired. And also, if you like this podcast, if you like Mentor Chat, make sure that you subscribe, give us a rating, and feel free to comment or email us. We would love to hear what you think or try and answer any questions you might have. And now, let's welcome our guest. Again, thanks for joining us. To start, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. Sure. So um, I am a professor of relational practice and higher education at Antioch University in their PhD in leadership and change program. And I'm also the author of Connected Teaching, Relationship, Power, and Mattering in Higher Education. What does that mean? look like? Like, what do you do? This is a doctoral program. So, and it's actually a low residency program. So actually it's, it's a fantastic position for someone who loves to mentor because a lot of the work is actually one-on-one. It's, it's working with my advisees, it's mentoring students. And then I also, of course, teach one of my content areas is relational practice. So that stems from relational cultural theory, which my guess is we'll talk about. And so I teach relational practice as it relates to, for this particular program, how does relational cultural theory and relational practice, how do they drive leading leadership? It might be a teacher as a leader or a healthcare professional as a, as a leader. So that's a big thrust of my work there. I also feel very committed to uh, and work in the area of social justice. So that's another part of what I do at Antioch. So Harry, you and I had a conversation before and we talked about the relational cultural theory or better known as RCT, right? I would love for you to expand on that because when we talked about that, it sounded very parallel to the work we do um, or the work we support in the community around the importance of everyday mentoring and this notion that caring adults everywhere can make a mentor-like difference. Everyday mentoring really talks about the importance of these organic relationships that happen. And when you shared RCT theory, it was like, wow, this really resonates. You know, we use different terms to explain the work, but can you talk more about what that is? Sure. Yeah. So, and there is, you're right. There is such a connection here. And I actually came to RCT when I was a doctoral student. And what I wanted to understand sort of my research question was, you know, those really powerful moments you have with someone maybe a mentee, maybe just someone you're advising or coaching or whatever, but those moments when you can, you can just feel it, right? You can almost feel like they're learning or growing and you feel energized. And, and I really wanted to understand like, what was that thing happening between us? So when I started my doctoral studies, I was mostly looking at mentoring literature because I didn't have any other language for that thing I was talking about. Uh, And the mentoring literature was somewhat helpful though, 
at times it was a little frustrating because a lot of the mentoring literature I came across in relation to higher ed, it often dealt with things like program structure and whether the mentoring relationship was assigned or organic, just sort of more of almost a mechanical look, I think, at those relationships. And then my advisor, one of my mentors, pointed me to relational cultural theory. And I think sort of like you're saying, Michelle, for me, it was like the light bulb went on because the language of RCT describes, I mean, RCT is a human development theory that is all about how we grow through and in our relationships. And so it gives language to that good thing. I was talking about that, that energy that happens between two people when there is growth in that moment or that, that longer term relationship. So it is all about how we are at our best when we have in our sort of orbit growth fostering relationships. It doesn't mean we're always connected with people. It doesn't mean relationships are always easy. It doesn't mean that every good relationship lasts a lifetime, but that essentially we're at our best when we can engage in healthy growth fostering relationships, when we have access to these in our life. And if I can just say one other thing, I think it is helpful in the way that, I mean, you pointed to formal and informal mentoring relationships or assigned and, and maybe more organic. You know, I think there are these meaningful relationships, but in some cases, people wouldn't label them as mentoring, like the young person or the mentee might not say this person's my mentor, but yet it's a meaningful growth fostering relationship. And so for me, RCT gives us that other language to use when mentor might not quite fit, but it's a really important relationship. Yes, and that's a great point because mentor can mean different things for different people. And sometimes it could be a heavy term, like, well, what does that entail? And I'm, I'm connected with someone for life. And it's like, well, you m might not be, right? Let's like take it in strides here. A lot of our research stems from uh, search Institute in the developmental relationship specifically. So when we're talking with the teachers and librarians and just community members in general about how they can be more mentor-like in their interactions, we use the five categories through Search Institute of expressing care, right? Providing support, um, expanding possibilities for young people, challenging growth, and being able to share power. Putting different language to things that are already organically happening, but the relational cultural theory, it's sort of a five-step approach too, right? Can you tell us more about what those five things are? Sure. Yeah. It's called the five good things. And it is, it describes both what is going on in these growth fostering relationships and also outcomes of growth fostering relationships. And an important piece of this uh, framework, I think for, for the mentoring community is that uh, research has found that these five good things occur in not only long-term relationships, but also even in one-off interactions. So in what some folks call mentoring episodes. So I think that's an important piece, but yeah, the five good things. So the five good things are zest, worth, clarity, movement, and desire for more connection. And these don't really happen in a linear fashion necessarily. And I wouldn't say it's really a checklist. I think it can be helpful in a number of ways. So I'll explain each one. But for one thing, I think sort of like you were saying, giving language to things that we maybe are already doing in some ways or things that we intuit, I think can help us be more intentional because it can give us sort of a mental frame to sort of check in on what might not be working here or what's working well. When I think about these five good things, you know, I, I think for this podcast, we're talking about mentoring, but it also, you know, you could think about this in terms of lunch with a friend when you're having a problem. I mean, relational cultural theory, again, developed in clinical, the clinical context, but those of us who are devoted to theory feel like it sort of helps us through life. So zest, so think about this. So you're meeting with a mentee and you're having a good session, right? And we can talk again later about what happens when it doesn't go well, but you're having a good session. And part of what often happens, I think, is you sit down is there's a little bit of a boost in energy. Now, I want to say, like, I mentored a, a middle school young man, and 
there wasn't always energy right off the bat, right? Like he didn't always come in like super psyched to see me or whatever, but you sit down and I think part of what happens is, so we've come together, we both committed to be here today. And right there, that says something that tells both people that I, I think you're important. I'm committed to this, this mentoring relationship. And then part of what it does is it, it also helps to generate a sense of worth, right? So again, if you're my men, my mentor, and you showed up to see me today, I might not say to you, thank you so much for being here. This is awesome. I, I'm getting the message that you care enough to show up every day, that you care to leave work a little early or leave home and come here to my school or get online with me or whatever. Like you've committed this time to me. And that says something that right there, if nothing else, I think says something super important. So for you as the mentor, the fact that I keep coming back, that says something important, right? And in the case of students, if if the student has sought you out as a mentor, that conveys like you have worth. Like I, I think you could be helpful. I think you know some stuff. So zest, worth, and then clarity. So part of it is as we start to talk about whatever is at hand, just as they explain what they're sort of stuck on or what they can't get often, right? When we put language to it, it gives us a little clarity, just the sort of spelling it out for someone else. And then as we go back and forth and talk about it, they get even more clarity because ideally I'm asking good questions and it's helping them think and so on. So zest, worth, clarity, and then movement through this back and forth. We're talking about this little boost in energy, this boost in worth as we start to sort out whatever they're stuck on, they're able to take next steps. And it doesn't mean we've solved the whole problem. It doesn't mean, you know, if it's a student who's thinking about leaving a program, right, quitting grad school, it doesn't mean we've solved all the issues that are behind their thinking about leaving. But through that clarity and those little boosts of energy and worth, they typically leave with a next step, like a sense of, I can do something here to try to keep this thing moving. I can try to make some changes. I know who I need to talk to, whatever it might be. And then desire for more connection is the fifth good thing. And you can imagine if all of these four other things happen in some way or another, that reinforces for us that other people are helpful and other people care about me. And that makes me more motivated to seek out either the same person or other people. And one other thing I would just say about mentoring younger people that I think is super important is part of what the five good things I think can do is that there's a concept in RCT called relational images. And this is the idea that we form images of people in general, and I think specific kinds of people, so teachers and coaches and so on. And if a young person has generally felt like adults don't pay them attention or don't care about them, and then you come along as that mentor and you show up every week, if nothing else, they're getting the sense that there's an adult who cares about them and they and that not all adults don't care. And I think, again, that right there is worth a whole lot, even if you don't see a lot of movement in a semester or year of mentoring. That's great. I love that it's called the five good things. That seems so clear. They're the good things. So we should be like doing them. It's like very, very clearly labeled that these are good things that we should be doing. Yeah, I think it is an entry point for a lot of people into RCT. The language is just really clear and accessible. They wanted this theory to be accessible and to resonate for people. As caring adults, we look forward to opportunities to share our wisdom of learned experiences with young people. The Mentoring Partnership is here to support those efforts and encourage ways for you to be more intentional in those natural mentoring opportunities by offering our everyday mentoring training to groups of individuals of 10 or more. To learn more about our everyday mentoring training, please contact the Mentoring Partnership at 412 281 2535 or by emailing us at info at mentoring So before that commercial break, you mentioned that RCT is designed to be accessible in terms of language, people understanding, and people using it. And hearing that, it seems like accessibility and inclusivity are really crucial parts and characteristics of the theory. 
So considering all of that, how have you used RCT to make more inclusive environments for your students so that they feel seen and heard? And basically, like, how have you used this theory in practice? So I would say that um, my hope is, my goal is to try to create inclusive spaces. And I would say that for me, doing that is sort of a lifetime project. I would also say that, so drawing on RCT, part of it is, is being mindful that we all come to any space with a lifetime of experience and messaging. You know, for example, last spring when we when we did the pivot where we left for spring break and uh, we were teaching on campus and then everything shut down. And so after break, we had to quickly start teaching online. And so, you know, part of that was, for example, cultural context meant I needed to be mindful that not all students might have internet access at home. Not all students might have good computing equipment at home. And what would that mean? Um, and that some students might be taking on uh, additional family responsibilities. Some students might have a shift in their work schedule. So I don't want to get into a long story about making that pivot. But in that moment, cultural context was understanding that not all students have the same resources. So I can't, I can't view this pivot simply from my own situation. I have to try to think about what might be going on for students, or in that case, students with disabilities who might have different levels of access. So that's one example. And so coming to understand that and then being mindful of how that shapes experience sometimes. That's a really great example. And I can also see how it would contribute to a student's success, like in and out of the classroom, especially during what we've experienced the last two years of global pandemic. For all of those reasons you mentioned and more, I bet it would be really meaningful to have a professor or another caring adult who's there and who's intentional and who's thoughtful and someone who actually cares about you and your well-being. Yes. So you have to be very thoughtful going into each interaction, like not only how we're showing up, but how we're respecting how other people might show up. The everyday mentoring work, the bulk of that work that we do happens in schools, in schools, teachers, um, out of school time programs, um, athletic organizations who you have groups of adults together. We're talking about the importance of their work and how we call that everyday mentoring and what that looks like. I think one of the things that it does is first give pause and respect to the work that's already happening. You don't normally see teachers and giving them high fives for, you know, recognizing kids and maybe attending sporting events or knowing them beyond, right, the, the day. And that's so important to student success. That's one of the things that I know that when working with educators specifically, I think they appreciate like, yes, this is the work, right? But to recognize and be intentional about seeing people who they are and adjusting and being flexible is so critical. I mean, I think so often we don't see, we don't see the impact we're having. It's subtle. And, you know, I think kids in particular, again, are not likely to, you know, to say, you've changed my life. Thank you for showing up every week. It has made me feel so different about the world. Like they're not going to say that. And they're not going to unfortunately bring that zest necessarily. Some will be excited, but I do think, I do think it gets filed away. Like, I think they take note, like, here's this person who showed up. And again, I don't know that it's even this conscious, but I think it means something when somebody comes week after week and just shows up to be there with you. And, and it's hard because I think when people go into mentoring, like, and I had this too, like I was excited to make a difference and I wanted to see the impact. And so it can be hard to think that it's incremental and so on. But I think, hold on to the fact that I think it just makes a difference that this showing up as, you know, first and foremost. Have you seen any of those small impacts or have you, has there been anything in your relationships that you've noticed? Yeah. I mean, I think in work with students and I found this both in my research and in my own teaching practice, 
you know, sometimes a conversation that for us seems routine is really important to that student in ways that we don't even see, you know, over the course of a week, when I was teaching master's students, I might talk with a couple of students who are thinking about doctoral work. So any one of those conversations to me doesn't seem like maybe a big deal, but for that student, it might be like the one conversation they have with a professor about doing doctoral work. So it's a big conversation for them. And then there are other times when, you know, I, I did a study on mentoring episodes and, you know, some of those meaningful interactions, and these were students identifying meaningful interactions. A couple of them were conversations in the hallway with teachers who weren't even their primary teacher, but it was a teacher they ran into and they asked the question, and it was something they were trying to figure out. And so it became a pivotal moment. And that might not be the kind of moment they'd remember in 20 years, but in that in that week, it was big. And so it's it's having that impact. So tell us, you mentioned it twice, and I think we, we have a similar language around that, but don't call it mentoring episodes. Will you tell us more about mentoring episodes? Yeah, so Fletcher and Reagans were two researchers who, Reagans comes out of the mentoring world of research and Fletcher, Joyce Fletcher is an RCT scholar. They were interested in, do we see these five good things in, in brief, one-off or, you know, singular sort of short-term episodes rather than, is this always only sitting there in long-term relationships? That's what mm -hmm. they wanted to know. Like, could this happen just more in passing sort of, right? And so they looked at this and then I did a study later to look at the mentoring episodes in master's education. And so what we found was that in a single interaction, these five good things can be, again, the essence of what's going on, and they can be outcomes of those brief interactions. So this was particularly helpful to me because when I first started talking about my work with faculty colleagues in different places, one of the concerns I got from colleagues was, I don't have time to mentor 100 students, you know, or I have like 40 advisees, I don't have time to spend this deep mentoring time with the or this deep relational time with each of them. And so when I came upon Fletcher and Reagan's work on mentoring episodes, that was felt critical because again, it's not about meeting with each student for an hour a week, but it's about when you have those brief interactions sort of trying to make them count. And again, I think so many faculty and mentors and coaches and teachers do this. Um, but for me, this, it, like you were saying earlier, Michelle, it, it's that helps me be intentional. So, you know, if I'm tired this afternoon and I'm like meeting with my last student of the day, you know, some of this stuff might remind me like kick it up a notch, Harriet, because for them, this is, this might be a really important meeting. But yeah, those five good things were all seen in mentoring episodes. And so it is like these don't have to be long-term relationships. You know, mentors often don't, especially for formal mentoring programs, you're not typically signing on for a lifetime of mentoring. It might be a semester or a school year or something like that. So this mentoring episodes idea helps us understand that even in these brief interactions, we can experience those five good things. Yeah, we have partnered with Allies for Children to deliver the everyday mentoring training to cafeteria workers. They share, like, we have such small interactions, but when we had the conversation and they started to share personal stories in those very short interactions, I think, too, they felt like, wow, like, I am making a big impact, and here's how I might be able to do that more intentionally moving forward. We talked about tying someone's shoe and how they celebrated birthdays during the lunch, and I always think of them because they did have such small interaction throughout the school day. The stories they were then able to recall was just remarkable in those short episodes. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, many years ago, I was working with a master's student at Carlo who was doing a research project, and she was looking at the experience of students who were sort of in the middle. Um, so not the super high achieving students and not the students who may be struggling or, you know, having difficulty, but those students who sort of fall in the middle and what their experience was like. And I'll never forget this. One of the students said that he could go through a whole school day 
and nobody would ask him how he was doing because, mm -hmm. you know, he wasn't getting noticed because he wasn't a superstar and he wasn't struggling. And so I think for that kind of student, you know, it might be the librarian, the cafeteria worker or whomever who could be the one person who notices somebody who just otherwise sort of is under the radar a little bit. And that makes a difference. I think of it as sort of a web of potential contacts, right? And so all these different people who you encounter during the day and any one of them could be the one who, you know, who gets in and connects with you a little bit and lets you know that you matter. That's a really powerful message, I think, to send yes. people that you don't have to be adding all of these skills or like all of this time to your plate and all of these extra things just by doing these small like intentional and having these like small moments then that could be the one thing that's the most important to young people yeah I agree I mean and too and I think that being said Ashley I'm just curious Harriet if you have any tips or suggestions what would you share with listeners as like a few takeaways to help them embody this mentoring mindset essentially mm -hmm. so a couple things that come to mind one would be I mean, I think it's all around intention as we've been talking about, right? You know, being intentional about my energy. And again, even at the end of the day, if I'm tired, you know, trying to make sure I get that energy back up for the students I'm going to work with. Another thing to think about maybe is that um, I've had some conversations with colleagues about, is it important for students to like us, right? And of course, I would say that most faculty who are human beings want our, we want our students to like us, like that feels good when they do, when we think they do anyway. But I think a different way to think about sort of potentially coming into connection with students is about the space that you're trying to create. So I'm trying to create a space with a student or a group of students or an individual student where ideally they're going to see me as bringing some energy to the work, bringing a commitment to their learning and growth, where I am aware of cultural impact and cultural context, where I welcome them, right? It's a space with, um, that's hospitable, right? That's inviting. And so I think for people who are mentoring kids where you might not get that immediate positive feedback, maybe a way to think about it is what's the space I want to create today with this young person? You know, I want to create a space that's inviting and has some energy. And if nothing else, I want the student to leave today knowing I showed up, I'm committed to them and I'm here for them and I'm going to come back next week. And that that's a starting point. So I think it's intention around those sorts of things. So anyway, I hadn't thought, I should have thought about that question of what advice would you give? And I didn't think of it, but those are the things that come to mind. If those are the first that came to your mind. I'm like, those are so important. <laughs> but I think those are two small, tangible takeaways that people can just keep at front of mind when interacting with young people. Um, before we wrap up today, you mentioned at the start of the call, right, um, being an author. So I wanted you to be able to share that book again, that resource again, um, especially because, you know, until we connected with you, RCT was something new to me. And I, I do love those five good things. But if you wanted to share your book again. Sure. Thanks so much for inviting me to do that. Uh, so first of all, I just want to say it's been so exciting to talk with you both. Like I've been following the work of the mentoring partnership for years. I actually went to a training offered by your program when I entered, of course, the mentor to sixth grader program. And uh, and that relationship is still very important to me. So I'm not going to name that young man because, you know, confidentiality, but shout out to him. So thanks for inviting me to talk about the book. So it's called Connected Teaching, Relationship, Power, and Mattering in Higher Education. I can tell you that I've also had friends and colleagues who are in the K-12 arena who've also read it and found it helpful. In this book, I apply RCT to teaching. I draw on research. It's also sort of an interdisciplinary approach. So I also bring in some positive psychology and I draw from some workplace literature. I mean, there's a chapter on failure and what does it feel like when we're committed to relational practice and we have a class or a group that feels like it falls apart and how do we deal with that? Um, so I'm really excited about the book. So that's out there. 
And where can folks find your book? Um, I have a website, harrietschwartz.com. And the book's also, of course, online through Amazon and other booksellers online. So yeah, that's the best way to get it. So thank you both so much. Oh, well, thank you. And take care and we will be in touch soon. Stay inspired. Stay inspired. Stay inspired. For this week's Stay Inspired, let's take a deeper dive into what Harriet mentioned as mentoring episodes. Harriet mentioned that she was speaking with a student one time and he had mentioned that he had gone throughout his school day without anyone asking him how he was doing. And now more than ever, relationships are critical for students' success and well-being. In a recent Youth Truth survey polling 207,000 students on their well-being during the pandemic, not even half of the students reported feeling connected to their school community. And only 39% said that there was an adult available at school to talk to when they are stressed. So how can adults in schools specifically help ensure that students aren't feeling invisible as they walk throughout the school day? At the Mentoring Partnership, we can help support schools around a tool called Relationship Mapping. It helps to ensure that all students within a building are connected. If you or your school is interested in receiving more support on ensuring that students don't go throughout the day not feeling seen or heard or being asked how they're doing, please reach out to us for additional support. As Harriet mentioned, it does not have to be the teacher. Everyone in a school environment is critical to the success and well-being of students. From the bus driver to sports coaches, teachers, cafeteria workers, maintenance staff. I've seen it firsthand. If we increase our noticing skills, then students have the ability to feel seen, heard, and recognized. For more information about relationship mapping, please reach out to the Mentoring Partnership at mentoringpittsburgh.org. and hosted by Michelle Thomas and Ashley Wineland with the mentoring partnership of Southwestern Pennsylvania. Our music is Cheery Monday by Kevin MacLeod. Special thank yous to Kristen Allen and the mentoring partnership team. Thank you to Dr. Harriet Schwartz. For more information about us, mentoring, and our guest interviews, take a look at this episode's show notes and visit the mentoring partnership's website at www.mentoringpittsburgh.org.